Hi everyone welcome to another episode of my podcast we have very special guest today joining all the way from Minnesota we have Ryan Smith joining the podcast hi Ryan hello how are you doing Shanna i'm good how how are you this evening how's the weather like <laughs> you know we're in the twin cities of minnesota it gets very cold here it's not the extreme cold that we're about to experience but it's It's getting there. It's getting a little chilly, so I'm keeping toasty warm here. You know, dress, dressing in layers. Okay. Uh, so, so how is how is Minnesota? Is is Minnesota going sort of back to normal now, or how is it? Well, you know, the, our COVID numbers just had a big jump upward, so it's you know it's kind of going in some ways back to normal i mean it, i don't normal is is a stretch i don't think it's normal but it's you know there's live music again there right. are sporting events again there you know different venues have different requirements some make you wear masks or prove vaccination um so you know it's not fully normal but if we're we're able to do things again so it's starting to feel like there's a light at the end of the tunnel right yeah it gives you hope that you when you can do something for example yesterday i was able to watch a movie for the first time after the pandemic it was yeah such a great experience for me to go back and like watch a movie uh oh yeah right right exactly yeah yeah uh, i mean normally is what we make of it now right right you're totally right about that <laughs> <laughs> it is whatever you make, you know, you you got to appreciate whatever it is that's happening. And there's a certain amount of acceptance you have to have with right. the way things are. And, and, uh, you know, if you don't, I guess if you, you know, if you can, if you can live with it and if you can find the good in it, you, you'll be all right. Right. So, so I know that you recorded the hurry up and wait with soul asylum in 2020, and then you were supposed to like tour and, I know that got delayed. So what's going to happen to that? Do any idea of that will happen now that we think? You mean like the tour that, that got delayed? Right. So we actually finished that tour. So what happened is it was 2019 mm. and the tour was called the Dead Letter Tour. So we had released the first single from the album, which was Dead Letter. And the album right. is and Wait, like you said. Um, and it was March of 2019 we were in california the uh we i think the last show we ended up actually playing was in los angeles and we were about to head to san diego we made it there but by the time we got there the rest of the tour was completely canceled including south by southwest in right. austin Texas. so all that got canceled i think that tour was still probably five weeks And it was supposed to have a couple more. Um, then, obviously, yes, the pandemic hit. We were home. We were doing the quarantine sessions. We were working on new music. We did some live streams, but it wasn't until this summer that we got back on the road. So we called that the, what was the name of that tour? Um, I can't even remember. <laughs> it was just, this is what's happening to my brain in the pandemic. It was, uh, well, we, we basically completed that tour and did, it was a, a seven-week tour um, right. 
that we did. And so we hit the places I think that we were supposed to, some of them. And then it was a lot of different shows. So, you know, before we hit it, get, get into a bus again, a tour bus, it's probably going to be, you know, next summer. But we'll be doing fly dates up until right. then. Right, right. So, so, so Ryan, how, uh, how about, I, I'm, I'm not really sure if Soul Asylum actually toured Asia. Uh, probably they have. I don't know if they have, if they went to Japan or what. Are you well, it, yeah, well, I mean, when I was with Solosam, we went to Japan and that was the first time Solosam had been there, I think, since 1995. Right. So it was it was pretty exciting. And you could tell people were waiting, you know, and just everywhere we went, there were people waiting, <laughs> you know, very politely. They're right, so polite right. in Japan. I mean, just utterly everybody is very exceptionally considerate and and just polite and kind but people would very you know quietly wait and um you know ask for autographs or or just say something and and then leave everybody alone and move on it was it was really nice so but but that's in my experience that's the only trip to asia um i don't know beyond that other than the fact that i know that for sure in you know japan in 1995 mm. Uh, so I'm not sure. And where where are you out of China? I'm based in Philippines. It's it's three okay. hours from Japan. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> right. So so Ryan, you you're coming from Minnesota, and I know that like the places like Minneapolis and like the, it's so musical place, and we got like Prince coming out of there. So so tell me a little bit about your childhood growing up and like what's your earliest memory of music and what do you remember about the music scene back in the day? Yeah. Well, I have to say that the Twin Cities, Minneapolis, St. Paul has been um, a really incredible place to grow up because, as you said, the music scene here is very in incredible. Mm -hmm. So the first memories I have of music would have been sifting through my dad's vinyl records and he had classic rock albums. The Beatles really blew my mind, you know, just as when you're a little kid and you find a Beatles record and I thought they were an obscure artist. Right. I had no idea they were the biggest band in the universe. So I thought I found this really amazing buried treasure of this band called the Beatles. But, um, you know, he had records from them. He had Bob Dylan. He had some Rolling Stones. He had some folk, a lot of folk music as well. And I just kind of gravitated towards the stuff I liked, which tended to be the rock and roll, like Kinks and that kind of stuff. And I, I would um, put on his records on the record player and I would just basically focus 100% on the music and put the speakers next to each ear. And, and I would just listen for hours on end. And then I started listening to FM radio and they had oldies stations where I discovered they were playing the Beatles. And so I would take my boom box with a cassette player, hit record and do all that kind of stuff. So it didn't take long before I kind of figured out, oh, this is a big band that's very famous. And, you know, the, uh, there's a lot other types of music out there. And, you know, being from the Twin Cities, you discover Prince very early. And obviously Prince was very, very popular worldwide. I mean, so I, I listened to a lot of Prince, and then I got uh, sucked into bands like Husker Du, 
and the replacements um and a lot of this the suburbs other bands from the twin cities that were local heroes um and from there you know i got into all kinds of other music punk rock um post-punk british music in general the manchester like madchester scene um but all of that were really like to me tied together things that were going on in minneapolis because we always had elements of all of that we had elements of soul music and funk music and then we had punk rock americana and then you had a lot of that brit rock kind of filtering in. we had bands like polara um landing gear other bands that were influenced by a lot of the british music so anyway it's a it's a melting pot and i travel a lot and i have to always say that the mini you know minneapolis music scene is really one of the best in the world as far as i'm concerned so Right, right. So, so Ryan, uh, when did you like pick up pick up playing the guitar? I mean, what really like inspired you to pick up the guitar? Well, I think when it so when I was super young, I mean, talking like you know three, four, five, listening to the Beatles on vinyl. I I, I always had this dream that I would become a musician, and then I completely forgot about it, and I got into science. I wanted to go into electrical engineering. I started building robots and electronic things. I got really into that. And then when I was in sixth grade, I actually played trombone in my school band. And that blew my mind. That was like, I'm like, this is what I'm going to do. I've told the story before, but basically when I, you know, the first time I, played trombone with our jazz band that was playing. I don't even know, you know, the simplest song, you know, drummers just playing a straight rock beat. I'm just and the, the, the rush of adrenaline I got from playing music with other people was so intense. I was smiling. I, I was grinning so much that I couldn't even play the trombone. I was like, this is the most amazing experience I've ever had. And the rush was, you know, it was like no other. And from then on, I decided, you know, I like science. I like robots. I like all of these other things, but I think I'm going to become a musician for sure. So it was in sixth grade. I really knew I needed to get a guitar. I needed to figure this out. Right. So, so you are the second rock artist that told me that you like, you started with the trombone. I had a guest last week from Sweden who said he he also started with the trombone. <laughs> there must be some connection, you know, with the trombone and people that play guitar. But I don't know if I if I you, I you probably would not have any idea that this is the case, but when Soul Asylum did a tour with the English Beat, right. uh Dave and I would go up and Dave plays trumpet and I play, you know, obviously trombone was my first instrument I really played and uh I would sit in with them playing trombone and i was like this is so fun i'm like this is the most exciting thing ever it kind of gave me a flashback to my you know very excited early days of of playing music it was it was pretty cool yeah (laughs) so so deciding like you know sixth grade you need to have a guitar and then from that like you had like a couple of bands before that how did it work out like did you play in bands yeah, it started like the I convinced my parents to let me take a crash course in guitar 
it was it was a one month program at a local music store, Schmidt Music. And you didn't even get to own the guitar. You got a guitar that was like loaned to you. Um, and the guitar was called the Fender Squire Bullet. Right. It's now a well sought after guitar, but at the time it was just like a piece of junk, you know, that it was, <laughs> you know, you could play, but they built them pretty solid. And now, like I said, people are trying to go and collect those. They only made them for a limited time. But anyway, I, you know, they taught me how to play power chords and do a few basic things. And I just got so into it. I was obsessed. So every second I had that I wasn't, you know, focused on something else like school or, you know, sports or something. I was, I was a hundred percent into music and I started writing songs right away. In fact, well, two weeks into me, even having a guitar in my hand, I booked my first gig and it was, I joined. So I think I was, in. so I, I guess I would have been in by this time, seventh grade. I'm not exactly sure, you know, I, I, it, but, but uh, there was a band of seniors in high school. So I'm like in junior high and I somehow got myself into this band of seniors that were playing like Metallica, Anthrax, basically heavy punk and metal music. And right. I got myself into that band and did my first gig two weeks after playing guitar. And we were playing, you know, stuff like For Whom the Bell Tolls and I'm the Man. And, all, you know, and, and anyway, I was just basically moving around power chords and acting crazy. That was like, I was like, well, I only know a little bit. Of, I know like one scale and some power chords. So, and I can move around a lot and act like I'm nuts. So that was my start. And then from there I got into just, you know, I was writing music all the time. I started taking tape decks and doing multi-layered recordings where I would, you know, put drums down and then play a keyboard and a guitar. And I started building up tracks um, you know, and I made, I think, uh, why well, a high school band, we made a, at least well, a full length album an EP. And I had made a couple solo albums, you know, still while in high school. Um, and then right out of high school, I knew this is what I'm doing. So, right. uh, I really put my head to the grind or what's the, I put my nose to the grindstone or whatever that expression is. <laughs> And I just was like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to work really hard at it. Yeah. When you say that, like, you know, uh, which I, I also say, like, it's not how many chords, you know, it's, it's, it's like how you use what you know, right? Like, <laughs> Oh yeah, you're right. You're right. I mean, that's so, so I also teach music and I always tell my students, you can do something great with whatever, you know, you know, wherever you're at, if you know one chord, you can write a great song. If you know two chords, you can write a great song. If you know three, if you know a million chords, you can write, you know, a great song too. But you could write a bad song any step of the way. And you can, you know, it's all about creativity and uh, having, you know, hearts following what you hear. That's mostly what it is. It's being adventurous and following creativity more than how many things you know at a given, at any given time. But it's also really important to keep trying to push yourself to learn new things, you know, right. because then you're you're growing and your mind is moving. But, um, you know, but it doesn't mean you need to wait until, you know, all the chords and, you know, right. all the scales to write music, you know. Right. I think I think, Ryan, a good example is what you mentioned earlier, Beatles, because, you know, Beatles, the Beatles have like 
songs like Yellow Submarine, like just like songs for like kids. And then they have songs like, you know, for the classical, you can consider oh, it yeah. as a classical masterpiece and everything in between. So I was so fascinated. I was learning about Beatles in one of my, I was doing some music history courses and I'm like the British invasion, like Beatles and Rolling Stones, right? So I was so amazed with how much like creativity they had. And then they they had that, you know, mop, mop, uh, Beetle stage and then the they suddenly come up top and then they they abandoned it and they they went on full scale so sort of a transformation. It's really amazing how Beatles. Uh, have you seen this movie yesterday? There's a movie called Yesterday about movies about yeah, Beatles. I, saw, I I actually saw it um, on a Soul Asylum tour date. It was actually on it was on a plane and right. I was like, oh, I gotta see this because I've heard about it. It's where the, like the Beatles didn't ever exist, exist right? It, yeah. like an alternate reality, and this one guy remembers all these songs. He's trying to remember them and bring them to everybody. Yeah, it was really, really cool concept. Right, right. So, uh, you when you were like doing these songs and you know playing in other bands, were you ever aware of Soul Asylum? Were you a fan of the oh. band before? I absolutely was, you know, like, like I said, I'm mean, being from the twin cities. There were certain artists that um, there's a lot of hometown pride for you. Like you mentioned Prince, the replacements, Husker do the suburbs. We had a lot of other more locally known bands that maybe everybody else doesn't know, but like the magnetones were very popular. Um, uh, the wallets. We had a bunch of these other bands that you're probably like, who's that? I don't know, but it's all right. You know, here their hometown, but soul asylum was one of the, the, the top bands that we had, you know, and, and when they really broke mainstream with grave dancers union, everybody here was really proud and really just shocked at how, you know, our local band somehow now was, on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine and on MTV, you know, every, every hour, you know, it was just, it was just like, wow, you know, this is mind blowing. So I was a fan. Yeah. I had um, a lot of the albums. I didn't have all of them, but I had, um, I had say what you will. The first record I had, um on i digitally had acquired what was on uh times incinerator and i had hang time and the horse uh made to be broken grave dancers union let your dim light shine i didn't actually own like candy from a stranger and i didn't have um uh boy i'm having a a moment i can't remember all the names all the records a little embarrassing but um there are a few i didn't have and uh but even when like silver lining came out i i got that record and and i I love that album i think it's like a highly overlooked soul asylum album it's there's so many good songs on that album um so i mean i've been a fan the whole way through really i mean i've always dave dave to me is like one of the ideal songwriters like his lyrics are very clever he always finds interesting ways to say things you know he plays on words in ways that crack me up and i think most people think are funny you know it's just he's he's just he's good with words and his chord progressions his melodies are excellent so i've always just been a fan of the band 
um, period. And right. the, the, you know, having like Michael Bland in the band, you know, he was another, he's a worldwide legend. And right, right. yeah, again, being from the twin cities, he was a, a guy that, you know, you knew who he was. He was the drummer. I mean, pretty much. I mean, it was like, he was the guy you dreamed like, Oh, maybe someday I'll play with Michael Bland. That would be amazing. You know? So, you know, it's kind of cool. You know, you take that stuff. Sometimes it's easy to not think about it and, and it just, you take it for granted. Like it's just day to day life. But, you know, if you look back on it, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing to me to uh, have the opportunity, you know, to make music with, with people that I really admire like that. Right. Right. So, so Ryan, I, I actually grew up in Sri Lanka. So, okay. Right. So, Soul Asylum, Runaway Train, Black Gold, those songs were like, was always played because for back then it was only radio for us. There's, there was no other way to get music. It was only radio. And those songs were like, were playing over and over in radio, right? So in rock radio, we had like one radio channel for rock. So uh, I really remember that. And I really, you know, fell in love with that song. And then first time saw that music video for Runaway Train. Remember they had a, sort of a start of that they talk about the kids who are like missing or stuff like that right oh yeah absolutely so it really got connected and a few years later i have i got this one i which i still have you know one of my favorite albums and i i I was so surprised it was like just 99 cents Was it used or new for 99 cents? I don't know. I think probably used, but yeah, but it's, a, it's a great uh, album. Uh, I really loved it. <laughs> yeah. So, so how did this happen that you were able to like, you know, how you got invited to play for the band? Well, you know, it, it was a long time coming. I think um, for one, um, I think that, well, Solasan was aware of, a band that I've had for many years called the Melismatics. Right. And they had asked us to open for them. Um, we had a, the same producer, John Fields was working with the Melismatics. So we had this connection there. Um, and, you know, I, I the, my, my interpretation of it is, is that they saw what I was doing with that band and they thought it made a lot of sense that this would work with what they do. And I remember when the Melismatics started at playing at clubs like First Avenue, where Soul Asylum is, you know, played so many times, more times that can be counted. Um, I remember the stage manager at First Avenue is telling me when the Melismatics were a new band, he said, you know, you guys remind me of a young Soul Asylum. Like you hear, he's like, you guys remind me of when the same spirit that they had. Um, and that, I think, you know, this kind of says it all. Like we just had a similar aesthetic and a similar approach to music. The Melismatics went off onto a different tangent. Like when we started, we were more of a guitar rock, you know, heavily influenced by punk music uh in in indie rock and then we started doing other things like we got into doing more electronics in keyboards and stuff that solasheim never did so we kind of veered another direction but nonetheless like i think that um it was similar enough in a way where there was this mindset that 
they thought, you know, there was some kind of connection going on. So, you know, if you ask, how did it happen? I mean, basically I started getting emails that were very cryptic. Mm. It didn't say a whole lot. It would just be like, would you learn these songs and show up to this rehearsal? And, <laughs> you know, and, and the way I remembered at least, well, actually Michael called me once before to kind of just say, see if I would even entertain the idea. And I said, of course, I, you know, yeah, absolutely. Why, you know, I feel like I'd be crazy to not do it. And um, then it was like a series of these emails with no explanation quite like, you know, why I'm doing this or, what the payoff would be or anything or why, you know, or what they were looking for. But I did a couple. Um, and then they basically, it was, it, I think it was very fast the way I remember it. Like after one rehearsal, they say, can you come back the next day? I came back the next day. Then they were like, can you go to Texas and Philadelphia this weekend? You know? And I was like, sure, I can do that. And it was a kind of a dry run to see how things would go in a show and and we gelled, I felt we gelled right away. And I would say they felt, I mean, I believe the feeling is mutual because I'm still here, you know, we kept going. So, you know, there was a, there was a, it felt really good. And it just felt like, I don't know, the connection I had with Dave and Michael and, and uh, either Winston or Jeremy, who is a longtime friend of mine too. Um, you know, it just, it just felt right. It, it felt like this, you know, works and, and then that's the rest is is what it is, you know. Right. So so Soul Asylum. So they started with. I mean, they had Dan first, and then Shabono, and then then you came in, right? Uh, yeah. So how was it like? You know, you have to play all these songs. Like I I know that most of those songs were like probably your favorite songs as well, right? So it was. How was the experience of actually able to play on st stage those songs, right? You know. Yeah, it it was, I mean, I would say like doing the audition rehearsal things were, were very uh, intimidating, you know, because I don't know how to put it other than, you know, if you, it's just, it's intimidating because you're playing it with the people that, you know, that recorded the songs and, and have been playing these songs for a long time. And you want to do more than anything. I just didn't want to let them down. You know, I, I was like, they need something for some reason, and I don't want to let them down. So, you know, but it, but it was really cool. Um. So so intimidating, exciting, nerve wracking, <laughs> terrifying. Right, and then you you recorded the hurry up and wait, and I I love this song. There's a song called "Got It Pretty Good," which yeah. is a kind of a bluesy but kind of heavy song, and I which I which I really love. Uh, how about recording that album? I mean, is that the first album you recorded with Soul Asylum, or were you able to do previously? That that was the first album that I recorded with Soul Asylum. We did an acoustic EP after called "Born Free," and then we've been working on newer stuff since then that it's just in the demoing process at this point but you know um really right away or real early in the process we started working on new music so by the time we made hurry up and wait for real i had already been going over to dave's 
you know, like all the time we would go over there and just jam. We would go a lot of times we would meet at a local uh, pub, you know, and, and meet there. And then we would go over to his place and we would just jam. And sometimes it'd be like, I'll play drums and he's going to play guitar. Or we would switch it up and he's playing drums. And we would just play and experiment and go through his old songs that he hadn't used or new ones that he was new ideas and you know layering guitar ideas down over songs he had written that and and there there's so much of that already that i felt real comfortable with the process before we actually made hurry up and wait but when it came time to make hurry up and wait the, what we really did was we kind of narrowed down a group of songs we started with I mean, there were, I, I remember on my iPod, my old school iPod, I had like 150 songs that we were like considering, Right. you know, that was like the pool of songs. And then we had narrowed it down to like 50 and then it came down to 25. And Dave and I started doing some acoustic gigs where it was just he and I playing them acoustically. And the idea was that we would kind of sort through, well, what songs really stick, you know, like which ones if we play it in front of an audience with just two guitars and two voices is going to like really capture people's interest. And um, we ended up recording those 25 songs. So hurry up and wait has a bunch of outtakes. I think I got the number right. I believe we recorded 25 songs for hurry up and wait. And uh, when it came time to do it, the band, we didn't rehearse at all. We just <laughs> we were on a plane and we were flying back to from wherever we were coming from. And we got a message saying we're recording. I think we're flying back on a Sunday and it said we're recording on Tuesday. Right. And I remember being like, hmm, well, that's interesting. We've never played these songs as a band ever. And the only thing we've done is played them acoustic. So this would be exciting. You know, so we set up and we played a creation studio in Minneapolis, which is where Solasam had made previous albums like Made to be Broken and some other ones. And right. We set up and we played every song a maximum of three times, maybe one on some of them, you know, one, two, three tops. And we would just go through a song and everybody would just hyper focus and be like, here we go. We, now we could, we did overdubs. We spent a lot of time working on it. We, we really put a lot of time into that. So once we got the basic tracks down for the songs, and then it was like more hard work of trying to think through everything, like every guitar part, every harmony, every lead vocal, everything. There was so much thought put into that album. Um, and so it was cool to see the process of starting with, you know, like 150 songs that the album could have gone anywhere. It could have been an experimental album. It could have been a hardcore punk album. It could have been right. an acoustic folk album. But to see like what ended up filtering through was really uh, fun to be a part of it, like from the ground up, you know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, th I hope that answers your question. Yeah. So uh, one thing that I love about like Dave's voice, I think it's kind of like it's like it defines like, for example, the 90s, what 90s was like when when I hear his voice, it just brings me to that sort of 1995, 1993, you know, that it's so recognizable, right? I mean, people who yeah. listen to his soul asylum. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I was so, you mentioned about Michael Bland and 
Michael Bland was actually part of the NPG, right? New Power Generation of Prince, and he recorded Diamonds and Pearls. Wow, that's a like. And then on the other side, he actually pl- played for like Black Backstreet Boys, Clay Aitken, and all these other Nick Jonas. I think he's part of Nick Jonas side yeah. project yeah. as well. I mean, such an amazing drummer, right? Legendary, actually, right? He's. Uh, you know, he's brilliant. There's no way around that. He's just, you know, I, I, I sometimes pinch myself and I go, I'm playing with these just brilliant <laughs> musicians. It's the coolest thing ever. Yeah. Michael is great. And he's got lots of stories of playing with Prince. I mean, you, you know, it's, it's very fun to hear his firsthand experience being in Prince's band and what that was like. And it, it's it's probably informed the way that he operates in Soul Asylum. Because Michael, you know, in a lot of ways is like the musical director of Soul Asylum. You know, he's he'll put the set list together. Um, more recently, everybody's been kind of putting in their two cents on the set list, like, you know, putting their version of it and 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 filtering it through. But that's kind of been his role in finding musicians and, you know, and, and, uh, you know, I think his experience with Prince really helped him do that mm. to a, to a high level that you could only get from being taught by Prince, you know, like one of the greatest in the history of music. It's like, you know, <clears throat> I mean, I, I love Prince. I think he's, he put out so much music and so much of it was, was brilliant. And of course, not all of it was, but I mean, the amount of stuff that he put out that was incredible is yeah. is staggering, you know. And I think he was not afraid to put music out, right? Whether it was right. like he was just putting it out and he didn't really care about genres. He, he didn't like he yeah. was, there's so many different things of what he put out. And then the other thing, Ryan, is the people who who he introduced to the scene, right? He has a lot of prodigies. Like he brought in a lot of musicians to, like lo- he influenced a lot of musicians, right? He gave chance to a lot of musicians to play with him. And that's that's another whole story, right? Yeah. Yes, you're, you're totally right. He did a lot. You know, he did a lot. He accomplished so many things, bringing new people in, writing songs for other bands, producing artists. I mean... Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 a huge fan. That's all I can say. And and the right. fact that he wasn't afraid to put out music in any way, like he didn't worry about, oh, is this fit my image? Does this fit my, you know, the right. expectations of the public? That's why he was so great. You know, he took risks all the time. And I think that's why, some, you know, when I made that comment, when I said, was all of it amazing? No, you know, well, because I think it was his willingness to put himself out there and try and and do anything that came to his mind you know which i highly respect i would rather follow an artist that's going to do that than is just going to be so particular about you know those types of things so yeah so so ryan your band the the melismatic first question what what's this name melismatic what does that mean (laughs) excellent question i always say that name was like probably the worst decision I ever made because it's hard to pronounce. It's hard to remember. And, you know, if you have a really clever name, 
a band can can go very far on the, on a name alone and there are some really good examples of that i'm not going to go there i'm not going to give examples but i mean i will say that um well here's a band i actually love i love the brian jonestown massacre but if you ever have seen their documentary on them and their rivalry with the dandy warhols there was an a and r woman who went to uh seymour stein and said, I want to sign this band and I'm going to go see them tonight and I want you to check them out. And she said, the name of the band is the Brian Jonestown Massacre. And Seymour Stein just said, oh, just sign them. That name is so good. Just sign them. <laughs> you see my point, you know, I mean, that's a good band actually. But what I mean is, you know, you can go, you know, your branding and your band name means sometimes at least as much as the music. So so the melismatics we got the name because um i was just starting my you know new band and i had booked our first show we had a local magazine here called or local paper it was like our music scene paper called the city pages and i needed to tell the venue what the name of the band was by a certain date i had like a cutoff because i said I, I booked the show i'm like mm-hmm. i don't know the band name yet i'll get back to you and they said okay I got I got a message saying you need you need to you, we need the band name today because it's going to the city pages today. Right. So I was in school, I was taking a test, and I was like, okay, I'm going to just put my pen on you know some random word, and that'll be the name of the band for this week, and then I'll change it when I think of something better. So right put it down and it came upon the word melismatic and I was in a music class, right? So melismatic means when you have multiple uh, notes on a single lyrical syllable. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you sing, ah, and you sing, you know, like, ah, you know, or whatever, that's a melisma. So I was like, okay, well, we'll just call it the Melismatics, you know. And I never got around to changing it to a different name. So we kept it. And, you know, that's where the name came from. And I figured, you know, on one hand, nobody else ever thought of that name. Well, there was actually one university that had a choir group that named themselves the Lee University Melismatics. And we had to, like, talk to them about um, that we own the rights to the name and, uh, but, but a lot of band names, you know, if you think of a band name and you go Google it somewhere in the world, yeah, some out of it already, <laughs> but that one, no one had at that time, you know, someone did years later, like I said, like it was a mm. university thing, but, um, but, but so it did have the uniqueness to it, I guess. So that is good, but I think it actually hindered the band. Cause I feel like you know, the, the name, uh, alone was just harder to, um, you know, to, to spread like wildfire. So. Right. So uh, I listened to some of the melismatic songs you have this from your album, the acid test. And, uh, one, one that I really like is the soul sucker from acid test. And you also have a cool music video for that. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what's happening with Melismatics? Because I, 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 I didn't see like, you know, you, you are, are you guys really working on new music for Melismatic? Because I didn't see like, you know, very recent uh, right. releases right. for them. 
Yeah. So the Melismatics, the last, so the last full length studio album we made was back in 2013. So that's eight. What is that? Uh, eight years ago? Yes. Um, and that was called Rising Tide. Right. And then right. we put out um, a single, Celebrate Your Heartbeat, in 2014. And that was about uh, our daughter, Skylar, who was just born. And that obviously changes your life, you know, when you have a kid. And, and, uh, and then we put out another single called All in Time. And then uh, through the last... Uh, well, probably since somewhere in 2014, the Melismax started to slow down. So that band toured a lot. We were on the road a lot. We worked incredibly hard. And I think everybody in the band was getting burnt out and tired from the amount of work we were doing and maybe just even the approach that we were taking because we were road dogs. We were playing show after show after show and the world was changing. And it's like, well, do we need to do this? Do we need to be like, in venues or should we be doing more um you know more online kinds of things and and we we took a step back and i think everybody needed a break and then you know ultimately what happened is um i was i was writing a lot of songs still um pony from the mel's max is also writing a lot of songs and we we uh i had the idea to start a new band and so therefore we um went to the label that we were on Pravda records and i said well yeah, I got a bunch of new songs. The Melismatics need to kind of chill a bit and I'll start a new band and I was going to call it the Cosmic Shakes. Right. Um, and then they said, well, why don't you call it Ryan and Pony? Because it's you two and, you know, people that like the Melismatics will have a reference of like who we are versus just making up <laughs> some random new band name. And uh, we took their advice and then made Moshi Moshi that had gotten started before I joined soul asylum. So that was uh, a lot of the music was recorded. Um, 2015, maybe six, you know, I then joined soul asylum in 2016. And then that kind of got put on the back burner for a while. Cause I got so busy with that. And then we finally, you know, released the record in 2020. Right. So, so, so Ryan, Pony is also your wife, right? Yes. So, uh, so I, 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 I saw this Moshi Moshi. It's very, you know, like J-pop Japanese yeah. kind yeah. of a reference, right? And, and I also love that song, Start Making Sense. I think that's, that's what it's called. Uh, so, so what's happening with Ryan and Pony now, nowadays? Well, that record came out during the pandemic, you know, what like Hurry Up and Wait did. So in that weird time, I mean, we're still in a pandemic, you know, that's the thing. So um, so when that came out, um, I mean, in my mind, it's still kind of a new record. I mean, I know it's old in a sense. It's a year old at this point, but right. it's a year old in pandemic world, which is still new because nobody is, you know, it's just the world has, has changed a lot. So um you know so that that um i've been basically been kind of hopping around on project to project so to in my mind that album still has a lot of uh life in it and it's still been getting new reviews and new you know like playlists picking it up on spotify and um so that's still like a relevant record in my mind you know like in my humble opinion 
And then I've been working on a solo record um, as well. When I, when the tour ended, I started, um, or actually going back to the tour that got um, canceled at the end of it, I started recording demos of songs. I just played all the instruments. And usually that's like my general approach. If I'm working on a song, I'll do a demo where I play all the instruments. And then I just either keep the parts that I'm doing and have people replace their parts or uh we just go back and record it fresh you know from the ground up um but but the uh but the solo record i just was like well you know what i'll keep these as is and so they'll remain like the demos and so i put out two singles with that so you know when you say so like the melismatics i guess like what i'm trying to say is that maybe as the melismatics we haven't made new music recently but in the family of the melismatics like i kind of see all of that as like under that umbrella so if it's a solo record or if it's a ryan and pony record or if it's a melismatics record it's all kind of from that lineage um so we did we did play a show as the melismatics uh this summer and um uh mark the bass player and i always are talking about what's next and what we're going to do and so so nothing is you know it's all it's all moving forward it's all alive and and well you know mm, right right so uh, i remember i mean at the beginning of the beginning of this you mentioned that like you were alone you had a like a fender square lone guitar and what 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 are you using now like what are your gear now like what what sort of guitars do you use how many guitars do you have actually <laughs> yeah well I mean, I, I know, so I, I only know this because last, it was maybe a week or two ago, I had a student ask me how many guitars I own. Right. And I said, I don't know. And and then she said, well, can you count? And I said, well, <laughs> I was like, sure. If you want, you know, I will count them. And I did. And, and, I, and so I counted, including bass guitars and everything. I had 21 guitars, which isn't like astounding, but it's, you know, I'm like, oh, that's kind of a lot of guitars. You know, they're they're in different places. They're not all in one place. You know, like at Soul Sums rehearsal space, I've got a Les Paul and an SG, and uh, you know, I just got a bunch of guitars, and they're all kind of scattered about. But um, I, my go-to, because you're asking like, what do I play? Like the Soul Sound guitar that I use is a Les Paul, and it is a hundred percent coincidence that I play a, a gold top, which is what Dan Murphy would play. But the reason I have that is because when I was actually going to Japan, the, the, uh, I was, I was getting, I was talking to Gibson directly about getting a new guitar and they, and I knew I was either going to, I wanted either a black, white or a gold top Les Paul. And they said, well, you know, we, if you want a, a gold top, we can we have one sitting right here in our office that we can next day deliver you and you'll have it before you go to japan and i was like well done deal that's like fate you know serendipity i'm like so i'm gonna play that so that's kind of been my main axe there other than i've got a a, an sg um uh junior i like playing that a lot with the uh with the humbucker it's got the uh the p90 uh and uh and then Reverend guitars. I don't know if you ever heard of Reverend, but no. they're out of Detroit, Michigan. Um, 
really, really great guitars. Like Billy Corgan from the Smashing Pumpkins has his own signature model. So does um, uh, Ron Ashton, who died from the Stooges. Right. You know, he had his own signature model. They're just killer guitars. So I, I love those. So I um, have a number of those. And I got Gibson uh, J45. Anyway, I could babble about guitars. It's probably not the most interesting thing for most people. <laughs> but uh, but, yeah, uh, but what, what I want to say is like, you know, there's no such thing as too many guitars. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Uh, so 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 Ryan. Uh, so now that things are sort of kind of getting back to normal. I mean, normal is what, as I said, what we make of it. But it is, so, yeah. what are you looking forward to? And and all these all these bands that you involve, all this your solo stuff. So, what are you looking forward to? And what what can we expect in the near future? Well, I think what I'm really looking forward to is having another uh, very prolific output of music. I love playing shows. Shows are phenomenal ways to connect with people. And, and I think there will be a lot of shows coming up. But I think that the pandemic has allowed, you know, to, it has allowed me and other people I work with to stay in more. And that allows you to write more songs to record more music. So really that's what I'm looking forward to is having a high output of material that that's good, not just high output, but, you know, stuff that um, I can feel proud of and put a lot of time into it um, and be spontaneous. You know, it's like, it's a balance, but, um, but when it comes to releasing music, I always like to just feel really good about it, you know, because every day there are over a thousand songs released into the world. And so I'm like, unless you really feel good about something, you don't need to add to the clutter of songs that are coming out every day. So I want to feel really good about it. So that's, that's what I feel people can expect is like new music um, and shows, you know, maybe not as many as would have been pre pandemic, but I think that's okay. There might be more online things, you know, like more ways to connect in that way. Um, a lot more music videos. There's gonna, you know, so more music videos, more releases, some acoustic versions of songs. Um, you know, that's what I'm looking for: the ability to just be able to release music at a more rapid rate and work in the studio more. Right. So, uh, you know, before the pandemic, Ryan, I. Uh, like 2017, 18, 19, or before that, I was I was always going to concerts. Like I would go to like 60 concerts, like every year. I would go like sometimes over the over 60 concerts. But in 2018, 2020, I could go only to eight eight shows, only just eight. So, uh, and and this live stream stuff, I was quite skeptical at the beginning because I I had that live experience. So I was always going backstage and all this. So I was quite skeptical of whether you can really have any any enjoyment from live streams. But I started watching some of them. And then there were some artists who did the live streams so good that I really enjoyed it. And then now I'm a big fan of watching the live streams. And this actually gives me a lot of new opportunities. There are artists that I could, I wasn't, I was, 
I, I mean, I never thought I would able to see them like Bob Dylan. And I, I watched the Pantera. They did a, like Phil Anselmo did a Pantera sort of a thing with his illegals and Behemoth and so many other amazing artists that I couldn't. Now I'm looking forward to all the live streams. I, I watch them because I could, I would, the, the time zones kind of match because it's, 8 p.m. in the U.S. It's like 8 a.m. or 9 a.m. for me, so it works. So I'm really looking forward to these live streams, and I I hope that even the regular shows moving forward, they would maybe they can incorporate some sort of a live stream element to that, so that other people can really enjoy it, right? Yeah, I I agree. I I right there with you. I mean, there's a new appreciation for things, you know, and and uh, live shows can never be replaced, but these live streams are fascinating and they're there it's a new opportunity like you said you can see people that you wouldn't have ever been able to see right. so it's just like there's just more there are now more options and i was trying i i think it's just good to look at the bright side of you know things that are are challenging and difficult because there's so many sad things and tragic things have happened but you know if you can get beyond that and look at well now there's a way to connect you know, with people in ways we, we could have, but didn't before, you know, that's, that's a really good thing. There's a lot of forward motion that, um, I think, you know, is, is making the world a better place. I hope, you know? Right. Right. Um, so so Ryan, what, what's your message to the viewers of this video and listeners of this podcast? What's my message? Yeah. Have a good time all the time <laughs> that's a spinal tap quote right <laughs> yeah so i don't have a message i i try not to be too you know i mean i don't want to i don't know um love one another you know there you go be nice <laughs> be nice the world is has become a very you know um well it's become a very uh challenging place to exist and it's good when people are kind and people listen right. and those types of things, I guess. That's my message. More of that, you know? Yeah. And then be, be grateful for the moment, right? I mean. Yes, totally. Be grateful for the moment. Yeah. Um, so, Ryan, anybody you want to shout out to? Um, you know, I'll, I'll say this, I'll say shout out to all my students because I teach a lot of people online. That's been a really, really cool innovation with um, the pandemic is that my students are located all over the place, like in different countries and different states around the United States, different cities. And, and, uh, and it's really fun. I get to work with people on a weekly basis and, and see them develop and be a part of their, um, musical experience so i'll just i'll say shout out to all my students if anybody's watching that happens to be one of them right so yeah i i want to shout out to andy gallagher of overhaul for connecting us together yeah well you know what i'm gonna second that notion because yes shout out to andy because very cool he yeah i'm really glad uh that he connected us and made this happen right so so ryan uh such a pleasure to have you and i really enjoyed this conversation with you uh, and i really i really want to like go go back and listen to your you know melismatic and ryan and pony and and your solo stuff i need i need to go and like listen to them more 
and i hope we can connect through online and i can i'll give you my you know my uh sense of you know what i what i like about your songs and stuff like that and then we we can communicate on that so looking forward to all your you know new new songs and hopefully someday we will be able to see you with soul asylum and you know melismatic yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah maybe we'll be uh you said you're in the philippines right right who knows maybe we'll be there i don't know where we are talking about getting back in uh doing some more international dates loosely we'll see what happens so right. and amazing. i think there will be a big appetite for live shows here when because people have we 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 just started just going out of the houses now right so i think next couple of years people will go to all the live shows they can because they're so waiting for it uh totally yeah <laughs> so 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 ryan tell everybody how they can follow you and also if 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 they want to get lessons from you how they can contact you yeah. and all that well if you want to follow the melismatics you can go to themelismatics.com or is it melismatics.com I don't know. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on all of the usual, um, you know, usual suspects. Um, Ryan Pony, you can go to ryanandpony.com. Um, we're on all usual social media as well. Um, if you want to order music, go to Pravda. I always forget their website. The record label that we're on, I believe, is pravdamusic.com. Um, and you can get music there. It's on Spotify. That's anywhere. My solo music is also on Spotify. If you just search there, Apple Music. I've got a Facebook page. That's kind of a developing project. So there'll be a an official website, and um, there is a like I said, a Facebook page. But I'll have the other uh, mediums coming soon. Uh, Soulsound, Soulsound.com, uh, Facebook, Twitter, all that jazz, Instagram. Um, so you can, uh, yeah, just follow friend like all those things join all of them you know uh they're all different so you get different things from the different sources right <clears throat> so ryan thanks for joining the podcast uh, have a great evening thank you chana this is a blast thanks for it thank you. Uh,